Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 306 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is February 3rd. 2014, just two quick days away from National Signing Day. So we're going to talk some recruiting a little bit later on the show with Chris Swanson. It'll be his first time on the podcast. We'll get some USC recruiting from him. We're actually going to do a uh, premium USC recruiting podcast on Tuesday as well, right before Signing Day. And we've got Dan Weber joining us in the first segment, talking about the Super Bowl, talking about the new Heritage Hall, questions on the team. So we're going to get to all of those topics today. If you have any questions or comments, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can call us at 206-888-6755, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Leave a voicemail right on the left side of the page. All right, well, I want to bring in Dan. Dan Weber, uscfootball.com, beat writer. What's going on, Dan? How you doing? Oh, pretty good. Um, good, uh, as I said, uh, this morning, good uh, weekend for USC, I think, on balance. Uh, a really good weekend, actually, for uh, opening Heritage Hall and uh, and then uh, getting to see what happened in the Super Bowl. And, and he had to make, uh, you know, USC fans feel pretty good, knowing that, you know, hey, that, I've seen that game before. And uh, they had, actually. And Pete was right. He was going to be able to do it again at the NFL level. Uh and he's figured out a different way to do it. I know uh, I did have a conversation one day one-on-one with him about why would you give up college where you've got such an advantage recruiting because of your own competitive nature, your own personality in USC, and all of that gives you. Why would you give that up? And he's figured out a way to do kind of the same thing. Uh, you know, I think there are only four players left on that roster when he that went from when he took over the Seahawks, and I know – in the first year, they brought in 284 different guys uh, that they cycled through the roster to see uh, who could, you know, who could help them out. And they, you know, and he finds guys like uh, Malcolm Smith, who uh, seventh round pick and guy he knew really well, but that not a lot of people uh, thought could play big time football and be be a, a sense player. And uh, he made it work, and he made it work with a lot of guys, you know, with the. Uh, with a uh, you know a guy like uh, you know from Stanford uh, Sherman, who played you know wide receiver played against USC and now he's uh, you know the best uh, corner in the game playing for PC. So but he, he he said he could do it and he went ahead and did it. He certainly did. And uh, we had a bunch of questions about the Super Bowl, Dan, just because you know the USC ties and seeing. Uh, you know, people talk about seeing Marcus Allen delivering the trophy, uh, you know, uh, you know, with Smith getting the MVP and, of course, Pete winning. So there's a lot of interest there from USC fans that have become Seattle Seahawks fans. But I want to play you this voicemail question first and uh, let you answer this one. Here you go. Hey, guys. Rob and Ukiah. I just wanted to make a comment about the Super Bowl. Congratulations to the Seahawks. They played a hell of a game. Congratulations to Pete for the Super Bowl victory. I just want to make a comment and say that that game played out eerily similar to when USC and Oklahoma played in the national 
championship game back in 2005, I just couldn't help but notice the similarities, and it's so ironic that the same coach, you know, coaching USC, it looked like USC um, was, when he was when Pete was coaching USC in that that season. Anyway, just thought I'd mention that if you guys want to talk about that, that'd be great. Anyway, take care of the podcast. Bye. Yeah, you know, I was I was kind of struck between whether it it more looked like the USC Oklahoma game or the year before when USC was a young team but very athletic and 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 very defensive minded uh, went to Auburn and and played an Auburn team that had you know a whole boatload of guys go to the NFL uh, uh, and really talented Auburn team picked by some people uh, I think Sporting News had them number one in the nation. And I still remember Tommy Tuberville talking about when he didn't know he was talking to a reporter, but talking about how he he didn't couldn't get his team in August practice. There was nothing he could do to get his team up to be able to play at the speed that USC defense was going to play. And uh, I kept thinking about that yesterday. That it just didn't look like there was anything Denver could do to get up to the speed that. Um, uh, Seattle was defending them at, and and that that was vintage uh, USC. I mean, they were playing the receivers differently. They weren't. This wasn't you know bend don't break. They were going to break you, uh, and bend you, and do whatever else you know they had to do. With the, Pete's got a new theory about about the secondary, obviously. But uh, uh, those two games kind of were rattling around in your in your brain as far as remembering uh, vintage uh, you know Pete Carroll. And the one thing you do remember with Pete was his teams almost always showed up to play in the biggest of biggest of games. And you know the, the the one they lost the Texas game, they basically were down to you know some third stringers on defense. They really ran out of defense, and they got careless and got cocky. But uh, but USC under Pete, uh, and I guess what are they seven and one, six and one BCS games. Uh, that was because of Pete. I mean, they basically, the thing that you found that was so interesting at the end of the year, when they were getting ready for a bowl game, by the time they got there, they were a better team after whatever time off, you know, three weeks, four weeks, than they were in the last game they'd played. And that happened with Seattle. Uh, that was a better Seattle team after the two weeks to get ready for it than, than anybody had seen all year. And that's really hard to be be ready for a team that's going to play better than you've seen them play all year. And it, it certainly looked like it through through Denver off. And 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 how Pete has the the ability to do that, it, it's just something special that his players kind of get a momentum and they uh, believe. And that's what we saw in bowl preparation. How they got better and better. And uh, yeah, that's. That's something special. You know, most teams just try to hold on during the period of time you've got to get ready, you know, for the big game. Uh, Pete's teams always got better. They certainly did. And uh, we got a couple written questions, too, kind of about this. This one ties into signing day. Dan, it's uh, Earl in West L.A. He wants to know, could this have happened at a better time? Three days before National Signing Day, a seventh-round draft pick from USC wins the Super Bowl MVP. The winning coach led USC to two national championships. And Lombardi Trophy was carried to the podium by USC Heisman Trophy winner Marcus Allen. What a great last-minute unofficial home visit. Didn't Malcolm Smith have a pick six against the Bruins in 2010 at the Rose Bowl as well? That's Earl in West L.A. 
Yeah, and on top of that, you've got you know the team that uh, USC has the most first round draft picks, the most um, uh, number one picks, and the most uh, pro football Hall of Famers. And I'm sure that gets pointed out to kids as well. That uh, you know that's about seven seven different things for kids to be thinking about uh, when it comes down to you know where you're going to play your your college football, and it doesn't hurt that USC doesn't have to talk about uh, what kind of education you're going to get here or what kind of a you know campus you're you're dealing with or all of the kinds of things i mean there is a lot going for usc and it's you know why steve sarkeesian is here this is where you can be really good and you've got a chance to be really good and you should be really good there are i mean when you look at what's happened it, we every once in a while we'll refer to the NCAA sanctions and all that, what have you. But the unprecedented nature of what USC was hit hit with, and the unfairness and all the other stuff about it. Despite that, despite you know the coaching situation, USC has two 10-win seasons in the last three. That's impossible, almost. I mean, that's not something I don't think. I think you could absolutely say. No other program in the country, having had what what has happened to USC, happened to it, would have two 10-win seasons in the last three. No, it's not possible. So, you know, there are there are some things that are looking pretty favorable for USC at this point in time. Uh, one last one that's Super Bowl related. This is from Marcel. He said, I heard yesterday Russell Wilson say that in practice, the ones go against the ones all the time which makes them better. This has been one of the problems for USC with the sanctions. What we saw in the Super Bowl reminded me so much of the Pete Carroll era at USC. It was unbelievable. Practice makes the difference. I remember Reggie Bush saying he got hit harder in practice than in games. Well, I think, and one of the things I think helped the rebirth uh, after, after game five was the fact that, and I think this is where probably Ed Orgeron doesn't get maybe as much credit that came up with the idea of the ones against the twos, not so much the ones against the scouts or the ones against the, you know, the third team and the scout team or whatever, but but the twos with the guys who are really trying to be on the you know on the ones, and um, you know, so you're you're going against uh, uh, Michael Hutchings and Quentin Powell, you know, at linebacker. You're going against uh, you know Jabari Ruffin and you know Scott Starr. That was, you're going against athletes, and you're going against you know full speed where you really have to have to play. And I thought that was that was a big part of the turnaround. It allowed them to practice fast. It allowed them to practice quickly, get a lot done in a very competitive environment. And that was a there was no question that was a throwback to both Pete and uh, Ed would say this is what they did when he was you know I was only in the NFL one year. But he said, this is one of the things he liked from the NFL. You didn't get your ones hurt playing against the ones, but you got them speeded up uh, playing against the athletes who really wanted to be on the ones. So, uh, so I thought that, but I thought I heard when Russell Wilson said that and sounded like he, he said uh, uh, at the end of the week, the three days of practice at the end of the week, the ones are still going against the ones. And he said, nobody else in the NFL does that. And, uh, it's obvious you have to have the right kind of players. 
I could see an NFL team that probably wouldn't like that. But the players that that uh, Pete has, he's got the youngest team in the NFL. I think that's all part of the plan. I'm not sure if you had his team averaged, what, 26.4 years of age. And uh, if you had a team that averaged, you know, say a 30-year-old average team, uh, that might not go over as well. Uh, so I think that's where the coach and the general manager, everybody have to be on the same page so that you get the kind of players that will benefit from the way you're going to practice. You get a, a young quarterback like Russell Wilson, a young athletic quarterback. You get the kind of uh, guys in the secondary, as athletic as they are. As Russell Wilson said, look at how good you you have to become playing against those guys every day. And, again, that sounded like what you always heard at USC with, uh, you know, the offense saying, you know, we have to bring it every day. We have to go all out every day because we're playing against, you know, Clay Matthews and Brian Cushing and Ray Maluga. They're going to, you know, come after us, and we better be ready to go after them. Um, All right, good stuff there, Dan. Well, let's switch gears a little bit because – if you look at usually on uscfootball.com, you know, several days before signing day, it's pretty much all recruiting that's going to be going up there. But there were some big events on campus, and we actually had a ton of stories up on the new Heritage Hall. There's photos and videos, and you wrote some great columns about what's been going on there at Heritage Hall. So maybe kind of get people up to speed on what's going on with the new Heritage Hall. Yeah, really good deal. I mean, they... Uh, it's easy for me to say it's not my money, but I think they got the $35 million worth. Uh, I think uh, having that building go from 48,000 square feet of usable space to 80,000 square feet to see all the things they've done uh, underground with the uh, coaches' offices and you know golf simulators and giant putting greens and just a wonderful you know lounge for the, for the female athletes and uh, what a you know. A compliment it is to uh, to the McKay Center. So that basically gives them nearly 200,000 square feet of brand new usable you know usable space. And and what it did too, it opened the patio up. Now when you go there, it just looks bigger. I mean they've got more stuff there, but it looks like it's expanded um, the the way they're using the outdoor patio with furniture and tables and get to, you know, a place where they, they can get together. Uh, we've got a place back again for uh, press conferences and, uh, and heritage, uh, you know, workroom for the media that is significantly upgraded, certainly upgraded space for the, you know, sports information office. And then, the, you know, the central core is uh, a hall of champions that, that basically is the only place in the country you're going to be able to, to touch a Heisman Trophy or, or six of them. Uh, because they're not covered. They're not, you know, encased in, in, in behind glass. Uh, and they made the decision that you know, they're secure. You can't, you're not going to be able to walk off with them. But uh, they're right there. And you know, that, that's having done a trailing college football Hall of Fame for a year and having carried R.T. Griffin's Heisman with me, uh, his second one that he let us have, I can tell you what a big deal, what an iconic thing that is. Uh, for people when they see, you know, the Heisman Trophy up close and, and they want to touch it. And uh, I thought it was a really good, you know, decision by USC to allow that. Uh, I think really neat. Uh, and it really worked well, I think, for all of our 
uscfootball.com community to, you know, spend a day in Heritage Hall. They've got all kinds of touch screens where you can look up every athlete and videos and histories and photos and just neat, a lot of neat stuff that, that I'm going to go back. Obviously, we go there, you know, all the time, but just go back. We got a tour on Friday, but but we really like to, you know, be able to take time and, and, and just see everything there, you know, that's there, and we haven't haven't done that yet. But it's going to be a great place for the jock rally on Friday. Uh, great place, I think, on game day for people, you know, to gather, start your game day, you know, at Heritage Hall. It'd be just great. Good stuff, Dan. On that, so you can check out uh, Dan's columns and the pro- photos and videos all on uscfootball.com. Uh, and then we got some team questions I wanted to get to, Dan. Some, uh, you know, spring football will be coming up soon. I know signing day is just a couple days away. And we're going to talk to Chris Watson about that in the next segment. But uh, Andrew Hogue had a question. Do you think that all the positions will have open competition in the spring? Or do you think some guys are cemented in like Nelson Aguilar? Oh, I think, I think as much as, as they talk about competition, they're also saying that spring ball – it's going to be kind of NFL-like practice uh, because they really don't know. Uh, I mean, it's almost week to week how many are going to be back and, and what shape they're going to be in and all that. So I, I think it's going to be more an introduction to, um, to both the new offense and the new defense, kind of a, a practice for practicing because they're going to go uh, as up-tempo as they possibly can uh, in the game, so they're going to have to do it in practice. But I don't know that they're going to get there yet until they get all the, you know, the 13 at least uh, guys who are coming back from significant or season-ending uh, injuries or surgeries and rehabs and what have you. Um, I think they feel very comfortable that all of them are going to be back, you know, by the summer. But to say that that they can go and really compete, I'm not sure that that can happen happen in the spring. I, I just don't know that everybody's going to be at the same level. Let's just take, you know, offensive linemen. Uh, you know, at what stage, where is uh, where is Zach Banner going to be? Uh, where is uh, Jordan Simmons going to be? Where are those guys going to be in terms of, of being able uh, to, to really, you know, compete for that spot? Although I guess, you know, you would say a guy like Khalil Rogers is going to be able to compete in a way where he can say, you know, I'm ready to step in where? Center, maybe. <laughs> uh, or, or a guy like Kenny Bigelow. Where does he fit in with uh, the new talent uh, that's coming on uh, in terms of the defensive line? So I think uh, in places like that it can happen. Uh, can it happen with uh, Stephen Mitchell and a George Farmer? I, I, I'm not sure if it can happen yet in the spring for those guys to try to establish an absolute pecking order at wide receiver, for example. So uh, I think we'll just I, – I wouldn't look for all-out open competition at every position, let's say that. Okay. But quarterback, you know, they could certainly uh, – Max Brown will certainly probably get a chance to, to you know, make that a, a two-man competition and uh, – That'll probably be good for, for both uh, Cody and Max. Yeah, that was uh, Tark's question, too. He said, since Sark said spring practice would be more about learning the schemes and not much contact, uh, should we assume that the quarterback race between Kessler and Max Brown 
won't be decided until fall camp. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not someone that thinks that there's a, a big decision to make. I think the decision is how far does Max come along and where does that put him? And is it, you know, one of those situations where uh, he could start also? Yeah, that's, I think, I think that's what, what you want to see happen where Max says, I'm ready to also be the starter. Uh, how, that, how that would happen in the, in the spring, probably, probably not, not possible. Uh, and and it, it, it would be a long shot uh, as well as Cody played by the end of the year and uh, uh, having a year's uh, experience. But you, you certainly wouldn't you know, want to sell Max Brown. I think the thing you want with Max Brown this year is to be the kind of player that if he's starting, no big deal. Uh, everybody feels good about it, and he's ready to go. And that's where I think you want to get him uh, in the spring. And I think, I think they can get him there. I think he can get himself there. Um, and then I kind of almost a follow up to that Earl and uh, West LA, another question from him. Uh, he said belated congratulations on your 300th podcast. We really appreciate what you're doing. And he wants to say kudos to Max Wittick. He's going to earn his bachelor's degree and have two more years of eligibility to hone his football skills while earning a master's degree and doing it all on someone else's dime. Which USC quarterback do you think is best suited for Steve Sarkeesian's offense today? Cody Kessler and Max Brown can both run, but don't compare it to the freshman Jalen Green, who rushed for more than 1,200 yards and scored 14 touchdowns his senior year of high school. The competition should be interesting if the offense is anything like what they had at Washington. What are your thoughts? Well, I don't think running is going to be the primary determinant for the offense. I mean, Keith Price really he didn't really run that much at Washington. And when he did, he often got bassed up. I mean, he, they really didn't want him to take off. If you remember two years ago in Seattle, when he took off USC, just clocked him. Uh, so uh, I don't know that that'll be the difference, but I do think the difference might be uh, in really encouraging. Uh, we saw, for example, a couple of times when Cody took off that, uh, that he can, he's, he's athletic as heck. And uh, he just, I think was so conscientious about going through all his reads and being very, you know, probably not as encouraged. We thought he was going to be encouraged to run over the summer, but that seemed to be pulled back on. And uh, I think the encouraging, they'll, with, two, with two quarterbacks who can play, I think they'll be more uh, encouraging them to uh, break the pocket if they have to and put a little more pressure on the defense, obviously, you've seen what what could happen with uh, UCLA and Arizona State and teams like that. You know, Oregon putting pressure on you. Uh, I think just having that threat there uh, is is important, and I think that threat will be there. But uh, but with the receivers they're going to have and the running backs, I'm not sure you absolutely have to you know focus on the on the quarterback's ability to run the ball. I just think you you have to focus on his ability if things aren't there, to take advantage of, of what's there and, uh, and go for it. And Jalen Green, just to let people know, he's uh, you know, from Sarah High School. He's enrolled already. He's an early enrollee, so USC will have three scholarship quarterbacks this spring, uh, although he definitely seems like more of a project. I would not think he's 
a legitimate contender in the quarterback battle along with Dan. To, he better you know, not be. I mean, yeah. And this is nothing <laughs> against him. He just better not be. You yeah. Know, you just, that's not the way that you go. But it will be good to practice against somebody with that kind of athleticism, and it would be good for him to break in that way. But uh, I think, you know, that's one of the things USC – has had to figure out is, you know, what to do with a running quarterback. And uh, I think uh, probably a different answer from uh, last year's answer. And uh, we'll see how that goes. I'd be very interested uh, in – I remember, you know, talking to, to Clancy, and as, as great a job as Clancy did in so many ways and so many things and got so much right, still remember – you know, talking about the you know UCLA game and saying we're going to stick with our principles, we're going to stay in our running, you know, in our lanes and our tackling angles and just keep our keep our basic responsibilities and just and I <laughs> I remember thinking that ain't going to work. I'm sorry, you know, uh, Brett Hundley's too good an athlete to get people in the open field and uh, you know go one on one even if you've got somebody kind of in, you know, responsible. Being kind of responsible for a kid like Brett Hundley is probably not enough, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see how how do you handle uh, Taylor Kelly and Brett Hundley, and if you get to the championship game, Marcus Mariota, what do you do? And you got to have an answer, uh, and uh, it's a whole different answer from say what Denver did to Peyton Manning. It's just a completely in a different place. Uh, because you can stop everything else, and then a kid like Hundley just takes off, and and he's as big and strong as he is, and fast, and he's out there one on one with anybody, and he's got a big advantage. So uh, uh, we'll be very interested to see how that how that goes. But I think you know having an athletic new athletic quarterback to come in. Uh, certainly gives you a different look in practice, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, here's a quick one, and then we're going to do a voicemail question about basketball. But uh, Nick wants to know, and we, I get people kind of tweeting me this all the time. Uh, he says he's a current USA student. Well, welcome, Nick, to the podcast. And he said, is there any updates on whether Morgan Breslin will be able to get a medical redshirt for next year or if he even wants one? I think probably he doesn't. And secondly, it certainly looks like the the best information we got, even though uh, it wasn't the first information we got, was that uh, because USC uh, played 13 games and he played in the seventh game, he played into the second half of the season. Now, there are those who thought by playing in a bowl game and, and, and making it to 14 games, USC, he would have only played in the first half of the season in the first seven games. However, from everything we understand now, that's not correct. Bowl games, only scheduled games count. Bowl games didn't count. So USC had a 13-game schedule. If he played past the midway mark, which would be game seven, he wasn't eligible uh, to get a medical red shirt. So I don't think he would have uh, asked for one. I know when I talked to him, he was looking at it. I mean, he was thinking about it. Uh, this is at the end of the year. He was thinking and he hadn't made a, an absolute decision, but I would have. I don't think he was going to go that way. But uh, I guess we don't know exactly how the uh, how the surgery went and uh, how 
how close he is to being ready uh, for the combine or for pro day or any of that. So, I, I mean, that can change things. I, I would think it probably certainly did with, with Andre Walker you know, when it's more severe and you aren't absolutely going to have any chance to get ready. But we don't know that with Morgan. But my guess would have been probably not. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't think he was really looking to come back. And, and what Dan explained is correct as far as there's an automatic way. If, you, if the, the conference will just say you can't do this, uh, the Pac-12 would not be able to do it because he played in Game 7 of the 13-game schedule. It's more than halfway. But if there was a real need, if, if Morgan Bresnan really wanted to and USC wanted to bring him back, there's an appeal process they could go through the NCAA. It's just not kind of rubber stamped because of the, the situation or the, the conference can't say, yes, we can take a look at it. They can't, the conference can't look at it. You'd have to go through some kind of appeal process as the NCAA. So it's not – if they really wanted to do it, it wouldn't have been completely out of the question. But by rule, they, you know, it wouldn't be go through the approval process easily because he played in Game 7. But if there was some weird circumstances and they, you could argue that – he only played one snap of this game or whatever, then that's something they could look at as a, you know, as, as a separate appeal. But it just didn't meet the, the minimum criteria, I guess you could say, where it could go through or not, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I'm guessing in Indianapolis, the first question when that got to the uh, appeals <laughs> committee is, say, let's see now, Morgan Breskin, he plays for who? <laughs> oh, yeah, I see. Yeah. Hmm. But I think, yeah, but technically, yeah. I think if he if like he really wanted to come back, I think there was yeah. an avenue for USC to go through because he really didn't play a lot of snaps in the games he actually played. So it wasn't like That's he was a good point. And I, I do agree, and they do allow you know for um, uh, an appeal, but uh, you'd really have to want to do it. You have yeah. to have a really good reason, and then you realize it's still USC. And uh, <laughs> <it> is, <okay. laughs> I mean, I, I know the. Uh, Today uh, we find out that that Tosh Lavoy got you know cleared at uh, at Washington and and at warp speed time I guess for the NCAA to uh, so maybe you're better off if you're places like Washington where the uh, <laughs> uh, NCAA president just happened to be the last president at the University of Washington I don't know yeah maybe, maybe that helps <laughs> I wouldn't hate to hate to throw that out there but wow that was pretty good time to. Uh, for those of us who are familiar with four-year-long NCAA investigations, uh, very good job by the Huskies. Yeah, they went that through that one pretty quickly. Um, well, one, one last one for you, Dan. This is a, uh, a basketball question. I'll let you. I'll let you listen to this one. Hi, this is Richard from Toluca Lake. I'm just wondering if the uh, athletic department has ever thought about bringing back uh, ex-ball players for halftime, like they do for football, or having somebody lead them out. Uh, like they do with football, because the way they're playing at the moment uh, just isn't making it at all. And I was wondering if you think that's a good idea to kind of get a spark, certainly have enough ex uh, USC ball players that could be introduced at halftime. So just so I'm curious and uh, would enjoy your comments, certainly enjoy the program. Thanks again and fight on. Yeah, that is a really good idea, and they were doing that for a couple of years. Uh, uh, I don't think they did it last year, and not – uh, certainly, I don't think they've done it this year. I haven't, I haven't seen it, and I don't know that for sure, but uh, not at the games that I've been to. I thought it went over really well. I think people were somewhat amazed and they would, you know, at, at the uh, talent level of some of these guys. I don't know if anybody has the Pac-12 network, but they, 
they're in the process of doing classic basketball games in the Pac-12. And they're doing um, the um, Elite Eight game where the USC, I think it was 2000, 2001, where they beat Kentucky. And a heck of a game, I guess it was in Philadelphia, really good basketball game. And you realize, man, USC, that team had some talent. And, uh, and just one, you'd really like to see some of those guys brought back. I think it's a very good idea. Uh, I don't know why they uh, discontinued doing it. Uh, I think it'd be it'd be a good good idea. They've done a pretty good job of uh, not so much with the students. The students are still kind of staying away, but the the general population in the crowds it's held up pretty decently. Uh, the last game for Stanford it was like 5,300. You know, for a lot of places that's not great, but uh, that was mostly uh, you know general you know population, not so much. Uh, you know, just a few hundred students, but um, and I think those people would really appreciate uh, seeing those guys. I think very good idea, and I think I'll, I'll bring that up with with um, some of the people that do the uh, promotions and the marketing, and and see what happened uh, with uh, with the honoring of the uh, former players and coaches. All right, good well, idea. Th- yeah, good idea. All right, well, thanks, Dan, for uh, coming on the show, and again, apologize everyone for being late. It was a little. Uh... Had a travel day for me today. Coming in from Las Vegas, I was in Las Vegas for the Super Bowl, so I traveled today. And we'll have Coach Harvey Hyde again next week. And like I said, we'll also have uh, Gerard coming on Tuesday to talk some USC recruiting. But thanks again, Dan, for coming on. Oh, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, thank you for uh, for having me, Ryan. And I was just thinking, for people who wanted a, a question about the Super Bowl or how much people know, I um, I used to work in Cincinnati with Peter King, and he pretty much got the whole Sports Illustrated preview super bowl preview article that i'm looking at and one of the the headlines is it's hard to imagine anything keeping denver down that was one of his bullet points going into uh, sunday's game it's hard to imagine anything keeping denver down that's why sometimes you don't like to predict predict these games and i do think the people some of us who who knew pete uh and knew how usc played in big games probably had a different sense about how that game might go than, say, the people who hadn't ever really covered Pete in big games like this. Certainly. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff again. And everyone else, we're going to be back in a minute here. We're going to talk some USC football recruiting with Chris Watson, who our newest member of the uscfootball.com team. Stay tuned for that. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Got a special treat for the very first time. Our newest member of the uscfootball.com team, Chris Swanson. One of our staff writers who covers the USC team. 
as well as recruiting is joining us on the show. Hey, Chris, what's going on? How you doing? Nothing much, Ryan. How are you? Glad to be here. Yeah, doing good and uh, glad to have you on. I uh, wanted to let people, we haven't had you on the podcast. It's the first time, right? Yes, it is. Uh, it's always a little jealous whenever I heard Gerard on here. I'm not going to lie. I kind of wanted to get on here and uh, make my mark, you know. All right. Well, you're going to make your mark today. You're, we're joining on the show. It's a little different podcast. We were a little late because I was in uh, Las Vegas, so we kind of put things off. And uh, Gerard's busy working on our uscfootball.com war room, uh, the midweek war room, the pre-signing day war room. So we'll have a prediction thread. We've got a whole bunch of cool stuff coming up on uh, uscfootball.com, so you can kind of get to all that. But we wanted to talk some recruiting on the podcast today, and uh, – I wanted to get you on because I know you've been down there covering everything that's been going on. And uh, I, th- I guess the first thing, Chris, is the uh, 2015 quote-unquote junior day that the, the kids came down. It was like an elite uh, little day that came out over the weekend. And what were your uh, initial thoughts coming out of that with the, the, the talent that was on campus? Well, uh, it was a small event, which I think that uh, everyone appreciated in the class. Uh, that was the feedback that we got from everyone. Uh, in years past, under Lane Kiffin, they tended to go to kind of a bigger format, kind of get try to get everyone out that could potentially be, you know, a recruit for them down the line throughout the year, which that strategy makes sense because, you know, sometimes you do have to go after a diamond in the rough type of guy, you know, like uh, – like Energini Harris from Crenshaw, that, you know, maybe having that junior day and having a, a lower-ranked guy out there might might work in that sense where you build that relationship with him. But the criticism about those events always were that it was so big that, you know, you couldn't really get a personal feel with the coaches and with the other prospects. It just kind of felt like a giant get-together. So the feedback we got uh, from this event was that, well, first, everyone that got invited was thrilled that uh, they're considered one of USC's top, you know, prospects on their on their recruiting board, but also that, you know, they were able to talk with the coaches and kind of build a relationship with them, which is important since, you know, they, they did just come down from Washington a few months ago. And then also, you know, just connecting with the other uh, prospects that were there. It's kind of easier to do that. And they kind of got a sense of uh, um, what USC wanted out of their class, what they're looking at. You know, because it was, it was probably between 20 and 30 guys, so that's what the, their class will be. So maybe that's their, their dream California class. So I kind of gave guys a, a chance to kind of say, okay, these are the guys that, you know, if USC succeeds in recruiting this year, that, that they'll have uh, in this class. And, you know, big news, you know, some offers came out of it, but there was one commitment, too. Okay. Uh, yeah, cornerback from John Muir High School in Pasadena, Tayon Mason. Uh, kind of a more of an under the radar guy in, in such a, a loaded class, but uh, you know the the coach told him that uh, kind of looking at him as a, as a as a safety actually I guess even though he's listed as a cornerback on Rivals.com he had an offer from Oregon State before but not very many other ones he's not rated yet but he's an athletic guy he shows a lot of speed on his film I think that uh, that's what he's looking for speed in that defensive backfield and I think that you know with, with their first class of 25 he's a guy uh, that you definitely want to take especially with some of the problems they've had in the defensive backfield and uh, our Adam Gorney said that uh, when Rivals.com does the re-rankings he expects him to be uh, ranked 
because currently we don't have a ranking for him. So he expects him to shoot up, I guess, and make a name for himself. All right. And then, uh, so overall, so that's 2015. I just wanted to kind of get a overview of what was going on with that, which was kind of mixed into this 2014 stuff with uh, official visits and things like that. But the USC class right now, there's five early enrollees. Guys are already enrolled, you know, with, um, so people know about that. Uh, besides that, there's 10 commitments uh, that USC has, which is a total of 15. The class is going to be 19 guys, which means there's four uncommitted guys kind of left over. And there's the three big ones that everyone's talking about locally. Damian Mama from St. John Bosco, the offensive lineman. Juju Smith, John Smith from Long Beach Poly, the athlete that can play safety and receiver. And then Adoree Jackson from Sarah High School, the athlete that plays running back and receiver and quarterback. And uh, overall, just in general, what do you think about USC's chances of uh, of bringing those guys in uh, you know the, from what your perspective has been uh, I think I think they have a decent chance I, I think that um, Adore is obviously a question mark and uh, I think that, that John Smith is although people think that SC is the, the favorite there's a chance he could go elsewhere although I don't think it's as big of a chance as Adore uh, I think they have a really good chance of Damian Mama though uh, he he canceled his his final visit to BYU, and he eliminated UCLA. So it's not for USC, Alabama, and BYU, but he didn't take that official visit to BYU. Uh, so a lot of people are thinking that he's going to stay home uh, and, and go to SC. I think that's the guy they have the best chance with. Uh, John Smith is down to USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Notre Dame. Uh, the the chatter for a long time, especially after the new staff came in and uh, – you know, he has some relations. Uh, uh, he has an uncle on the staff, obviously. Uh, Chatted with USC. Um, then UCLA kind of came back with Kennedy Polamalu. They, they were kind of nowhere to be with him, be found with him. They kind of came back into it, but I don't think they're they're the big player really in it. Oregon seems like they're the threat. Uh, he was he was thinking about taking a, a last minute unofficial visit. To Oregon, paying his own way up there. That he told us that wasn't going to happen, but he was strongly considering it. Um, he also apparently uh, said go Ducks at a at a high school event, which I don't know if you can really <laughs> what to take from that. But you know, it's something to think about, I guess. Um, and he, you know, and also I guess Notre Dame is is in it too, even though it's not the chatter, just because he's always he's always talked about how important you know the the, the Christian lifestyle is to him and, and how much he respects their their value. So they're a team to think about. But I think it's it's right now it seems like it's a USC Oregon battle. Um, I think USC is probably the favorite just because you know he's he's from the area. He he grew up. Uh, you know, SC where SC was a big influence in his life. It's big. Uh, his parents are you know seem like. They're SC people. It seems like SC family, so I'd say that they're, I wouldn't be shocked if he went to Oregon, though. Uh, Adoree Jackson is is kind of the the enigma because uh, he had a favorite. Uh, everybody thought that Tennessee was the favorite, and he, yeah, he eliminated them when he made the top four. Uh, so uh, I, I don't know. He just seems like he could do anything, and, and it really wouldn't be shocking. UCLA is in the top four, and he hasn't. Paid too much attention to that. hasn't hasn't really visited their campus that often. Uh, he, the word was he stopped by quickly uh, this weekend after, uh, of course, being on, uh, going to USC with his uh, with his mother. So that's that's something interesting right there that uh, he did actually get on USC's campus. So that should make 
sure we got fans feel pretty good about that. But also Florida and LSU, both teams, you know, people have said that he grew up liking them. Uh, SEC teams, he's obviously not worried about going uh, in, anywhere in the country. His, his family is obviously from uh, back east, back in the in, in, uh, Illinois area. Uh, so he, he's the question mark. I think yeah. that the people starting to think that USC has a, has a good shot just because his mother came in and checked up school. You know, he was there for that last visit. But I would say that it's kind of a it's got to be a coin flip. Um, Jackson for yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think signing day can be shocking, and I don't. There's not a whole lot I think that would shock me with those three guys. I mean, I think, like you said, Damian Mama probably the most likely to end up at USC of the three. I think Juju Smith's a, a favorite for USC too. But if he did a DeAnthony Thomas and and Oregon came in and took him at the last second, I don't think I'd be shocked. Like I kind of was with DeAnthony Thomas. I think you can kind of see that yeah. potentially coming. Uh, but Dory Jackson, really, I mean, I mean, if he ended up in Florida or LSU, I wouldn't be shocked. I think the only thing that would shock me, Chris, and maybe disagree with you here, UCLA's listed on all these for all these guys, but I really don't think if these guys don't end up at USC, they go out of state. It just, if if any of them went to UCLA, I think that would be the most shocking thing for me. I, I agree to you. Um, well, obviously, Stanley uh, Mama has officially eliminated them, so yeah, that would be totally shocking. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he told us, you know, last time we talked to him, which was on Friday, that he didn't grow up. He grew up disliking UCLA, and they weren't really in it for him until they hired Kennedy Colomalu. So you got to think that even though, you know, there's a relationship there, that would be an, just a, an incredible recruiting job if one guy was able to, you know, change, you know, the, the last few months leading up to that point in recruiting, or maybe even longer for him because, you know, he's obviously been focused for for teams for years now. Um, and with Jackson, he never really uh, was around UCLA. So, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I would be pretty shocked if UCLA got any of, the, any of the top, I guess they're the top three guys in California. So, yeah, I'd be, I'd be surprised if any of them went to UCLA. Now, it's so. funny with Dory Jackson, when we talked to him, I talked to him down in uh, Orlando for the Under Armour All-American game. He had a top three of USC, Florida, and LSU, but he said he was going to have a top six. So anyone that was added, you're, you're kind of wondering, like, well, they're obviously on the outside of those top three. And like you said, Tennessee was like this dark horse, and people thought they were the favorite. He eliminates them, but kind of keeps UCLA around. So that, that's interesting. But it, to me, it's been about that top three for the last month or so now. But Adore Jackson's a guy that can, you know, he keeps the cards very close to the vest. So I, But if he picked any of those three, I don't think I'd be, be shocked. Yeah, no. I, I wouldn't either. And, you know, he's like LSU or, and USC, I guess, since he was a kid. So. Yeah, and it, I think Steve Sarkeesian's made a good push, and he's, he really changed the perception. I think Sark being hired certainly helped USC's chances for Dory Jackson. So we'll, we'll kind of see what yeah. goes on from there. But th- th- So assume, Chris, those three guys, there's, like I mentioned, there's four four spots left. Uh, if someone like Bryce Dixon sticks around, he's, he remains committed. So there really is four spots and not five, or if someone else, you know, decommits something like that, there, that would be one left over. The three crown jewels of, you know, California or, or yeah. you know, Mama, Smith, and Jackson. Who are your thoughts about maybe that fourth guy, what USC would kind of go after uh, for that fourth spot? Well, um, there, there's five guys that, that really come to mind that, that I think also USC is, is pushing uh, for. If, if, you know, either... 
for that last spot or if they actually have an extra spot if one of those guys go, goes elsewhere. Uh, there's there's Lamont Simmons, cornerback from Florida, who's originally committed to, to Rutgers, um, opened up his recruitment after, you know, he got some more exposure and people started to realize how talented he was. Uh, seems like now he's considering USC, Georgia Tech, Arkansas, Penn State, and Auburn. Uh, he visited USC. We talked to him very briefly, uh, and he mentioned that he he loved to visit to LA and it felt like home uh, to him when he was there. I think that's a guy you have to consider just because you know there's been problems with the, with the defensive backfield the last couple of years at cornerback. He's a cornerback that you know potentially has that Florida speed, uh, and I I think that that's someone that SC would really want to bring. And I think they have a good chance of them. He visited. He liked to visit. Uh, so. Yeah, that's that's the first guy that that really comes from. The next guy is uh, is Fred Warner, the linebacker from San Marcos, California, that's uh, committed to BYU. Uh, he's had an offer for USC for a while, but he committed to BYU really early in the process, uh, April of uh, 2013, um, and uh, has stuck with that. But he actually did visit USC this past weekend, um, and. Yeah, it seems like he's interested. If there's a spot open on signing day, who knows? Maybe he doesn't go to BYU, but I, I think that with him, you have to think that BYU is the favorite because he's been committed to them for you know so long that it, it, it just seems like it doesn't make sense if, if he flips up the last minute. Of course, that could happen, um, and I you, you know, but I think SC would definitely take him. He's a great talent. Um, I always felt like he was a little bit underrated, just uh, just because he was that you know committed to BYU. Um, but if you know if SC doesn't get him, they also they have another linebacker they're looking at, Drew Lewis uh, from Miss Washington. He's he's committed to he's committed to Washington. He committed there back when Steve Sarkeesian and his staff was was back at Washington. Um, I think he could potentially flip to USC if he if he got the offer. He took an official visit. He he raved about it. He has a strong relationship with both uh, Keith Hayward and Peter Sermon because uh, actually USC started recruiting him as safety, so Hayward was recruiting him. But as he kind of grew, uh, he's up to 190 now, and, and but he seems like he's got that that linebacker brand. They said, "Hey, you know, we we could see you uh, playing linebacker for us." So uh, Coach Sermon started recruiting him. So he actually has a great relationship with both of them and, and the entire staff. So he's got to look out for. If they have a, an extra spot on signing day, maybe they offer him, and it becomes a Washington USC battle. And so, just you know, him obviously going to Washington. Uh, and then there's there's the final two guys. Um, I mean, I'm gonna get uh, Bobby Johnson out of the way first because actually I just talked to him. Okay. Uh, right before I came on here. Uh, he, he did not visit USC this past weekend, and he told me he's 100% committed to Fresno State. He's done. There's an update coming for FSBulldogs.com soon on that. Um, yeah, he, it seemed like he was he was a guy, you know, early in the process, we didn't feel so confident with, with Damian Palmer, maybe a couple other guys, you know, maybe back when, when uh, Vianney Tomer Alba was still, was still committed to Alabama. You know, he seemed like kind of the guy they were looking at for that. Seemed like they filled up. He got it, and he, he just he went with Fresno State, and he's not even going to consider USC if they offer him at this point. He's done. He's a bulldog. So. Okay. Uh, he's kind of off the table, obviously. Uh, so the last guy is uh, Jabril Frazier, 
the outside linebacker from uh, Verbum Bay in Los Angeles. Um, he's a really interesting prospect because he's a little bit younger than everybody else in his class, and he seems like he, he could, you know, potentially fill out, you know, and develop into something, into a really solid pass rusher for, you know, the, the type of linebackers they need when they're in that 3-4 uh, scheme. Uh, he, he's currently, he doesn't have an offer either. He's on track to uh, gray shirt where he'll, he would enroll in, in December for the 2015 class, but as, a, as an early enrollee. Uh, so he won't count for he would count, I guess, uh, towards the 2015 class anyway. But he'd be able to come in earlier and you know develop a little bit, which would be great for him. But he's been told that if uh, if they do have an extra spot on signing day, he could get offered and just come in with the 2014 class right away. Uh, he his other the other school he's considering right now is Boise State. They have offered him for the 2014 class, no, you know, special accommodations or anything like that. So those are the two schools he's down to. And he's going to decide after signing day, actually. Oh. Um, I guess, so, you know, he might be waiting to see if, if USC has that spot or not, you know, maybe because maybe that would make his decision easy if he could just, you know, choose SB and slide into that class right away. So uh, look for him to either choose people that, the day after signing day or the following Friday, uh, which I believe is Valentine's Day. All right. Well, great stuff, Chris, on that. Thanks for uh, the breakdown there. You're going to make Gerard jealous of the stuff going on. We have a couple questions, though. I want to, we'll see how you do on these questions here because they can get a little okay. crazy sometimes. Uh, Jason wrote in. He says, what happens if USC gets commitments from kids they didn't expect and then have more than 14 kids looking to sign their letter of intent to USC, how do they handle a situation of telling kids their scholarship is no longer good? Is it a first come, first serve type of thing? That's from Jason. Um, well, the interesting thing with, with those with, with these kinds of situations is that the kid usually understands uh, what is going on. Cause the coaches, when they when they have a situation when they might be full. They're usually pretty upfront about it, and when you have a brand like USB, you can say, you can usually say, "Hey, you know, this is the situation. We might not have room for you, but we might." Like if you look at like a Jabril Fraser or a Drew Lewis, like I mentioned, you know, just earlier, those are two guys that don't have offers and and have been told up front, you know, what is going on, and so it almost it, it's a it's a concern that people always have coming into signing day, but it never seems to materialize because. Um, it just it just doesn't happen. The, the, it, it, the kids usually understand which schools want them and which schools don't. So um, I guess that if it did come down to that, though, it would be a, a, a first come first serve kind of thing. But the, I believe the coaches would get some negative feedback, you know, and from from the media for you know over recruiting and, and leaving some kids out to dry. All right, good stuff there. Then uh, the last one's from Eric. He said, and this is about the uh, junior day you were talking about, why would USC invite 2015 recruits and only offer scholarships to some of them while leaving others without a scholarship offer? As a player, my mentality would be, why send an early invite in the first place if I have no scholarship offer? Leaving the unofficial visit without any offer while my friend, colleague, fellow high school competitor received one is very insulting. It would provoke me and make me sign elsewhere. So what's going on with that from Eric? Well, I you know uh, I 
think Eric brings up a good point. I, I, uh, I think that too, you know, just, just to expand on this point, even, uh, that you got to think about the kids that all the incredibly talented kids in this 2015 class out of California that, that weren't invited to the event at all. Um, but, um, I guess it, it, what it would come down to is really is, is needs and, you know, you know that you need some kids in certain positions right away. And maybe that's how you sell it you know, to, to recruit a get an offer is, hey, you know, you're one of the top, you know, uh, players at this position that uh, we're looking at, but we're just, you know, maybe full from the last class or, you know, we, we might not need that position as much as these positions, and that's why we're offering these guys over here. You know, there's only an excuse, I guess, that the coaches can find to build in uh, when those kinds of things happen, and, and you hope that the USC brand is attractive enough that, you know, kids want to play there, uh, anyway, even if you know they don't feel like they were recognized uh, as early as maybe some of the other schools recognize these kids, you just hope that the, the USC is able to to draw these kids in, and it, just because of their their past history and then everything the school has to offer and the location and you know, yeah. everything else. And I think you brought up a good point too. This event was very limited to you know twenty twenty five guys. Just being invited, this was kind of like being nominated for an Oscar. Just being invited was an honor here. Now, not everyone's yeah. going to have a scholarship offer. And sometimes, you know, they talk about they want to see you in person. They might be guys they haven't seen at a camp before. I think there's a lot of different reasons. And I think sometimes a kid will get a chip on his shoulder where he'll go to a camp, you know, the Rising Stars camp this summer. You know, that'll be a good example. It, there might be, you know, a whole bunch of middle linebackers. And, and one guy's the one everyone knows, and he's got a, a scholarship offer. And, and a kid that's maybe not as well-known is like, I think I'm better than him. I'm going to prove myself to the coaches while they're there. So the coaches definitely like yeah. to do a lot of in-person evaluation, and that that's one of the quote-unquote excuses you can use. You haven't seen them really in person yet. So I think some of these kids are patient on that. But in this event, I think it was such a small, prestigious event just being there. I don't think anyone was insulted if they didn't have an offer. Yeah, it's just you got to worry about those kids that weren't invited, I guess. Right, yeah. No, I think that's the bigger – that's what you brought up. I think it's the bigger point is there's juniors around that are like, Hey, why wasn't I invited to this thing? Yeah. I think I'm the best, you know, whatever. But there's, I mean, it's competition, and uh, you know, coaches can't bring it everyone. You know, USC's getting scholarships back, twenty five, but it's not like they're getting fifty. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's significantly more. It's it's a great, you know, it's coup for uh, Steve Sarkeesian, and I think there's a really talented class of 2015 to choose from. But you got to make some tough choices sometimes. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, you obviously know from, you know, from being around it so long, but it seems like every year, even when there aren't scholarship re- reductions, people go and they see some of these other talented kids that, you know, are committed maybe to, to UCLA, Arizona State, they don't have a USC offer, and they say, wow, you know, that kid's amazing, like, why haven't we offered it? There is a limit, you have to stop at some point, USC wishes it was different, because they would love to take pictures of these kids, I'm sure, but. That's the way it is, and other other teams are going to be talented too. The other day, I can get some really good kids too. So, yeah. all right. Well, Chris, hey, great stuff. Welcome to the podcast. A very good first episode. Hopefully, everyone enjoyed it. You can follow him on on Twitter at Chris P Swanson. Is that correct, Chris P Swanson? Yes, yes, yes. That's right. Check him out on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I'd appreciate it too. <laughs> yeah, give him a follow. He's a good, he's a good tweeter out there. He's he's good on the message boards on uscfootball.com, and he's done a lot of updates for us there. And 
uh, has helped us out a lot. So, Chris, welcome to the team and welcome to the podcast. We'll definitely have to have, a, have you on again soon. All right. Thanks so much, Ron. I really appreciate it. All right. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. Again, apologize for being a little late on this Monday. Stay tuned for another recruiting podcast on Monday. We'll get even more in-depth and get Gerard rant on some of these guys and talk to you more about USC recruiting then. So stay tuned for that on peristylepodcast.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Music